0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com, that's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 385 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing the implications of the tourism industry. Vacations, they're the best, am I right? For many of us, vacationing, though, is no longer a rare treat. Travel has become an essential escape from the realities of daily life. Now, I admittedly live in a more affluent area, but I must say that in my location in this world, it's uncommon to stay home on a school vacation or during the summer. Everyone is vacationing every chance they get. Everyone's going somewhere fabulous over summer break and sprinkling teaser shots of how much fun you're having on social media. That's the norm. It is no longer the exception. And so maybe, just maybe, if funds are tight, if you don't want to deal with the stresses and the hassles at the airport, maybe this is the summer To stay home, staycations are more affordable and they can be just as rejuvenating as a vacation to some exotic place. When people are instructed to stay home but treat the weekend like a vacation, researchers have found that they are significantly happier when they go back to work on Monday than the people who treat the weekend like a regular weekend. Even more interesting is the people who treat the weekend like a staycation, they didn't spend more money, and so it really just comes down to, according to the researchers, a shift in mindset. Now, if you need more convincing on the power of staycations, my guest today is here to drop some difficult truths about the tourism industry. Chris Christou is the host of the End of Tourism podcast. His mission is to peel back the curtain on what, at least for travelers, seems like a glamorous industry. And of course, we have discussed the environmental implications of travel on this show before. That's not what we're doing today. Today, we're having a discussion, keyword discussion, about the ethical implications of the tourism industry on real people, on culture, and on economies. Chris, I'm so happy to have you on the show. How are you?
1: I'm great, Stephanie. Thank you for having me on. It's a real honor.
0: It's summer. Everybody I know is traveling. Lots of people are traveling abroad. I'm going nowhere. (laughs) That's a whole other story. Talk to me about yourself and your own experience with travel. You have a podcast. It's called The End of Tourism Podcast. Why did you start this podcast? Tell me how your experience plus your professional endeavors have come together.
1: Hmm. Well, it's uh, it's quite a long story, but I guess the short of it uh, is that you know, in my twenties, I uh, caught the travel bug, as it's often referred to. I had a great deal of wanderlust, and I spent most of my twenties backpacking. And that time was spent uh, working to travel, essentially. So I would work as much as I could, and within a short period of time, and save as much money as I could to travel as long as I could. And towards the end of that decade, I started to wonder what I was really doing with my life. So I decided I was going to move to Oaxaca, Mexico. And after about six months of being here in Oaxaca, I just realized I needed to stop being everywhere and to just finally be somewhere. I decided I was going to write a book on travel and I had no idea what it was going to be about. I just knew that I didn't want it to be another travel log, right? Just another celebratory book about myself, Right. So, I started researching the the history of tourism, and that manuscript ended up becoming an attempt to look at the unauthorized history of tourism and travel during that research, I began finding out that there are many, many uh, social movements around the world that aren't against tourism, but tourism tended to be a central Thread weaving all of these movements together. So, in some places, people are fighting against gentrification in their neighborhoods, against uh, the Airbnbization of their cities. Some are fighting against the expansion of airports. Some are fighting for the health of their waterways and on and on and on. But tourism tended to be and tends to be the the, the central thread at the heart of these movements. And so, During the pandemic, when we all had this moment to uh, reflect on what was happening in the world and why it happened, I realized it was an opportunity to amplify these voices. And so the the podcast, the End of Tourism podcast, became a way to amplify those voices, not only for the people in in the neighborhoods, in the cities, among the movements, but also for tourists, and especially in the Anglophone world to get a a bigger understanding of what's happening in these places that typically they only end up being in for a few days or a week or a month. And in that context, it's really, really difficult for people to understand the extent of their consequence in those places when they're only there for a few days.
0: Hmm. There's a lot there, Chris. (laughs) So I'm just going to ask you a really simple question where are you? Where do you fall with regard to tourism? Are you advocating for the end of tourism or for a more responsible means of traveling? Where are you at now after, I believe you said you spent your 20s traveling the world?
1: Right. Yeah. So what happened was really a a revelation moving to Oaxaca. I knew to some degree, I had been here twice in passing just for a few days and I knew that it was a, a tourist town, but when I moved here, I started actually working in tourism in the tourism industry, and I started to see the other side of the coin. Right, everything that I couldn't see traveling the world as a, as a tourist, and I started to see the very dire consequences that this industry was bearing upon this place. And of course, through those reflections, beginning to understand that this has already happened in other places, especially in places like Barcelona or Venice or Paris or London. And so the extent to which tourism becomes this kind of Hail Mary, <laughs> this kind of last uh, last gasp of late-stage capitalism, the way in which late-stage capitalism is keeping itself on life support. And so as the industry starts to morph in, in the different ways and we start to see that tourism isn't just something that's left for particular destinations, but that it actually, the behavior of tourists and the consequences of the tourism industry start to be felt and start to be seen and start to be lived by local people who do not quote, live in tourist destinations. So way, another way of saying it is, what if tourism isn't just an industry? What if tourism is a way of life? What if the the touristic way of life is the kind of status quo lifestyle for modern people? If we don't know the names of our neighbors, if we move into a, a new apartment, for example, and we have some idea that if the landlord raises the rent next year, I'll probably have to move again. And so subconsciously or unconsciously, this gives me little to no desire to want to reach out to my neighbors, to want to build a sense of community with the people I live with, because I know that in a a year's time, I'm not going to be here anymore. Right? I'm going to be somewhere else, whether it's down the street or in another city or in another country. And so this notion of seeing everything is not only temporary, but also disposable. That's what I see. And I think a lot of people see happening... The, also, the the hypermobility, the, the quote, freedom to to move wherever we want, whenever we want, right? Assuming you have the privilege to do so.
0: Well, you mentioned late-stage capitalism there, and I really want to cling on to that because, well, first of all, let's define late-stage capitalism for those of us listening who don't know what it is. And correct me if you have a different definition, but for me, late-stage capitalism is, it's a phrase that... Uh, encompasses all the absurdities that are to us in a capitalistic society commonplace. But if you step back and look at it, look at the things we're doing, it's quite absurd. So like the common example going around is buying $300 jeans from Nordstrom that are covered in holes. Like that's absurd. Or (laughs) with regard to the tourism industry, um, the need for those of us need and desire for those of us with disposable incomes to travel to the other side of the world to see how other people live to get to know other people when we don't even know the people who live next door or on the floor below us that's absurd that's late stage capitalism or going to this destination to again immerse yourself in a culture but you know you're you're only there for a week so you're really not seeing anything beyond the tourist Dare I say, traps, you're repelling down waterfalls, and you think you have a phenomenal idea of what Costa Rica is. You have no idea. You just repelled down a waterfall. That was a tourist trap. I want to talk to you about like how we can be better travelers, because I know for my listeners, my minimalist listeners especially, they are on board with the ethos of minimalism, essentially, which is that happiness lies in experiences, not things. And so the minimalists listening, perhaps not the environmentalists, but the minimalists in particular are all about travel. And so for them, never traveling again, that's that's not an option. That's not even something that they're going to consider. And so I do want to focus in on how we can be a better traveler. And step one, in my opinion, in the context of my show, would be spotting the greenwashing. I think you're going to tell me that there's rampant greenwashing in tourism, just like there's rampant greenwashing on store shelves, right? There's labels and words for this lodge or this, I don't know, whatever, to get environmentally leaning consumers to stay at that lodge as opposed to the other one that's two blocks away. So let's transition our conversation and talk about greenwashing in tourism. I have a feeling you're going to just blow my mind. What does greenwashing look like when it comes to travel and tourism?
1: Hmm. Ecotourism has been around for at least 30 years. And I will say up until about five, 10 years ago, the main way of greenwashing tourism. Because at the end of the day, ecotourism doesn't necessarily have a 10-point plan, right? It's just incredibly vague And anyone can, as in many industries, slap these titles onto their marketing schemes and have that be good enough, right? And that's how it was for for a long time up until, you know, maybe the 2010s. And then people started realizing, okay, well, you know, there is this relative damage that's being done to many different contexts of tourist destinations, whether it be the environment or the communities, the culture, local languages, etc., and so we started to see 10, 12 years ago uh, names like sustainable tourism or responsible travel or positive impact, right? And what you often saw and what you continue to see is how can we use different language in order to differentiate ourselves as a, as a company, for example, or as an agency, as a tourism agency, in order to essentially get new clients, right and so not only are we eco tourism but we're positive impact and then we have maybe we've created this manifesto right right this was something that when i started in the tourism industry having very little understanding of this i i wrote a, man, a manifesto about regenerative travel right and can
0: i just say something sorry for sure for sure you seem like the type of person who would write a manifesto you have to say <laughs> <that>. <laughs> sorry you got to send it over yeah. i want to read it
1: <laughs> for sure but you know there was some point, I think it was just before the pandemic, where I was walking down the street here in Oaxaca, and I saw a poster, and it said, sustainable, regenerative, authentic heritage experiences, right? And it was just like, if we can just throw all of these keywords onto the poster, we'll just get more people, right? And without particularly defining what we're talking about, this greenwashing, I think a lot of it comes from the reality that the industry in itself is is not sustainable. At the end of the day, when people talk about sustainability, you have to ask, what is it we need to sustain? And And at the end of the day, most of what's being sustained is the industry. As much as they want to kind of point towards environmental factors or cultural regeneration, the industry is the thing first and foremost, that's being sustained. When you ask about how can we be more responsible travelers, we have to start asking ourselves questions, not just about, well, maybe, you know, instead of flying, I'll take a train, right? Instead of um, staying in an Airbnb, I'll stay in a hotel that's licensed and regulated by the local government. But to ask ourselves, what would it mean if we could only travel... A few more times in our life. How would we proceed towards those moments? It gets very likely that within, you know, the current trajectory of the industries and climate science and all that stuff that the the airline industry might not be around in 20 years, 30 years. Uh, So, we might not be able to fly at all. And so, what would it mean for people if they could only travel once or twice in their life?
0: Well, you mentioned consequences there. And we're going to take a break, Chris. But when we come back, I want to get your thoughts on whether there are any positive consequences to travel. I know a common refrain I hear often is, you know, we're giving our American dollars to these locations. It is almost a form of saviorism, it seems to me. But can we do any good when we travel? I'm going to ask you that question after a quick break. Hello sustainable minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, Meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Christou. He is the founder and host of the End of Tourism podcast. Before the break, Chris, we were discussing greenwashing in the tourism industry. Spoiler alert, listeners, it's rampant. But I want to talk about whether we can do any good when we're traveling. I mean, Many of us do think that if we just show up and we say, I'm here, and we wave our American dollars over our heads, I brought this money, I'm giving it out to this community, we think we're doing good. It does sound to me like white saviorism, pure and simple. But practically speaking, is our money in these locations sustaining livelihoods, sustaining families? Can we do some good with our money, even though it seems really saviorist-like? What are your thoughts on that?
1: This is a way, certainly, that people have of washing their hands of any sense of responsibility to their time and a place. And, and certainly, I think that's true to some degree. And I've heard that as well uh, here in Oaxaca from foreigners who've come to live here. We've said, Yeah, well, you know, I come and I spend my money. Right. And this helps support local people. And I think it's really important to understand that in these conversations, there is an incredibly deep complexity to the dynamics and the situations that people in tourist destinations live in. They didn't always live in tourist destinations. These places weren't always destinations. But as the industry grew and as it continues to grow, more and more people realize that, well, you know, in the case of Oaxaca, for example, at least the historic center where 85 to 90% of the economy is based on tourism that I have a lot of friends who have little other choice than to work in this industry. So I think, you know, can we do good? Generally speaking, this is something that if you're going to go to a place and you want to do good, you have to do your research. You have to know what good means for the people that you're going to visit. And most of the time, There's not a single definition. There will not be. There will be countless definitions. And so I think doing as much research as possible, especially in regards to the social movements in that place, understanding the political and social history and movements that that exist in tourist destinations, because more often than not, there are going to be movements that are in some manner fighting against your willingness and want to be there. Okay, not, not, I mean, not pointing the finger at you necessarily just because you're a foreigner, or whatever, right? But in the context of airport expansions and the environmental degradation and the culture loss and the language loss and all of these things, the industry as a whole, if you're going to go, ask yourself first, what is the history of this place? Does this place, do these people want me there? Do these people need me there? And at the end of the day, there's not going to be a single answer right? And this is where it becomes really, really difficult and really, really complex. And so, you know, perhaps there's a way that you can get in touch with these social movements. And if you want to do good, maybe it doesn't look like tourism. Maybe you're not there to go to the ruins or go to the museums. Maybe you're there to do some kind of volunteer work, even though that has its own fraught history. And again, with, you know, in the context of uh, white saviorism or, or just saviorism in general. And it's just really fascinating, having done all these interviews with a lot of people in these social movements, in these places, and they, very few of them, if any, say, "We do not want people to come here." right And almost nobody says that, but they're saying, "Please understand what is happening here." And in places like Venice and in places like Barcelona and perhaps in places like Oaxaca, it's become so difficult to retain a sense of the local language, of the local culture and customs. There are a lot of places people simply should not be going to. Maybe get in touch with local people. Get in touch with the local social movements and ask them. Because you know what's going to happen when you get in touch with the uh, with the agencies and the industry people. You know what they're going to say. Get in touch with the people who are trying to honor a way of being in a place under the storm of their days. And be willing to accept being told, no, it's probably not going to happen that often. But perhaps be willing to be told that we don't want you as a tourist here. We'll welcome you as a guest. And and what does that mean? And what could that mean? Right? Outside of this context of us having learned about, you know, being being a guest essentially is is how we've come to be treated in hotels and among people who simply want our money. So maybe there's, there's something in the realm of responsibility in there.
0: There's definitely something in the realm of responsibility. And as you're talking, Chris, there's also something in the realm of flipping the script from me first, right? This is my trip. This is my experience. Me, me, me. To flipping to like, how can it be them first? How can I serve? And I think at least here in the West, Perhaps in America, for sure, where incomes are disposable, we have money burning holes in our pockets, where we are catered to, served when we travel. Flipping the script can seem, it, it's simple, but it can seem revolutionary to many of us who expect to be, again, catered to with our, again, American dollars. And so, yeah, flipping the script from this trip is about me and my experience, and you know the photos I'm going to take home and show everybody who didn't get to come with me, and instead, like, how can I best serve the community, the place, the destination I'm going to? So, you mentioned a couple times, and we're we're taking a turn here um, on our conversation. We're we're going in another direction but you mentioned something a couple times that i haven't really personally thought about so i want your opinion i want your thoughts on it you mentioned the consequences of airbnb and a airbnb world you mentioned digital nomads too how the rise of the pandemic created digital nomads what are the consequences on all these people who can work from wherever their home is but let's talk about airbnbs for a minute how are they impacting Local communities.
1: Mm. Well, I just wanted to mention. You know, you you said something, and we've mentioned it a few times. And uh, this this term disposable income, and it just struck me right like a lightning bolt. The word disposable means that it's it's not needed, and, and that that it's that it's garbage essentially, right? And so maybe there's a way. In the language, in, in, in listening a little bit differently to our language, that we can start to wonder about how we refer to these things. And if we're going to a place and we're using our disposable income as a way of paying for whatever it might be, what does it mean to that place when our income is disposable? What is the relationship between us and them and our money when we consider it disposable? Perhaps in the context of the language, there is something to be said about wastefulness. And uh, yeah, so you mentioned Airbnb and just an unbelievably hot topic these days. What's happened over the last 10 years with Airbnb, and certainly there's a few other much smaller organizations or companies that offer short-term rentals or that allow people to rent certain places on short-term scales. And At the beginning anyways it wasn't so bad right because it was kind of airbnb had this this ethos of let's allow people to rent their second bedroom right and you would go and stay in the apartment with someone else and i remember i did this in spain 10 years ago but the hosts had had done this i guess for you know a year or two by then and they were very kind but we didn't we didn't really speak with them we were there for three days There was no relationship built. Like I don't have their contact still, you know what I mean? And this was just kind of the beginning of it because at the end of the day, this platform, and they often call this like platform capitalism, but the relationship, if you want to call it that, is transactional. So in that context, we still revert back to this understanding that the host and the guest is very much uh, there for your, as you said, your personal need, gratification, right? And what's happened on a, on, a, on a social scale or on a larger scale economically in destinations is that people began to rent out their second bedroom. It was seen as as a moneymaker. And so people would start to rent second apartments and then rent out the second apartments. And then so there was one less apartment available for local people. And of course, this spiraled out And it's spiraled out, not just in tourist destinations, but in major cities all over the world that maybe are not typically considered major tourist destinations. And so, again, this is a way in which we can start to see that the tourism industry doesn't just exist elsewhere, right? Where the places where tourists go, it also exists in the places where tourists live. And we can go on the Airbnb website. We can go on the inside Airbnb website and map and check how many apartments and homes are for rent and it's it's clearly reached a level of 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 massive uh consequence in these places because now not only do you have people renting a second home but a third and fourth and 10 and 20 homes and the governments for the most part local state federal etc are doing very little to regulate this in part because if the economy goes up and so not only do we have individuals doing this, but now we have investment firms doing this who are going into particular places, especially in places like Barcelona and, and bigger cities where there's larger apartment buildings, and they buy the entire apartment building, and they evict everyone at once. And they turn the entire apartment building into Airbnbs, and they hire, they basically outsource all the work, right? So you have uh, management firms who deal with the booking, you have um, cleaning firms who come in and, and clean the rooms afterwards. And these investment firms, because they're corporate entities, they have there's no face, there's no human face from which to contact or speak to or deal with in these regards. And this is something that's become one of the biggest social fights or social movement battles uh, in these tourist destinations because people are being evicted in the hundreds now. And so it's become a housing crisis. And the people who come for three days or a week and who rent Airbnb have no idea that this is happening. What we're looking at in this context, in the context of the, of a tourist economy in the places that, that have tourist economies is this exile, this displacement. And it's not just the exile of people because those people are the locals are the ones who are keeping the hearth or the fire of culture fed uh, the language, the local language, the local culture, the local practices and traditions those are the things that are being pushed uh, with those people to the periphery or or to another city, right and those things can only exist when those people are living together in a particular neighborhood or in a particular building and so there's this constant exile and displacement that's happening as a result. And in places like Southern Europe, which, you know, to a large degree is some of the most over-touristed places in the world, you see this housing crisis that previous to Airbnb, we would have understood as a local problem, a problem between the local government and the people. But now it's become a problem coming specifically from the tourist industry with short-term rentals. Hmm
0: mic drop moment, Chris. I mean, wow. What what happens to Barcelona when all of the local residents are moved out to the periphery? Is Barcelona, as we know, it's still Barcelona? Is it still the place that all of us want to visit? That's something for me, again, to meditate on after we say goodbye. I'm going to give you 50 words or less for my next question. <laughs> so think think long and hard. If there's one tip, maybe two tips, but again, fifty words or less, that you could impart on to my sustainable minimalist listeners when it comes to traveling and tourism, how they can be better travelers, tourists, guests, what would you say to them?
1: Hmm. well, I would say you know the relationship of the guest to the host begins at home. your manner of being a an honorable guest in another place depends on your manner of being an honorable host at home and also a guest in your own place. And I know that sounds paradoxical, but maybe we could ask ourselves, how have I or how do I enact hospitality in the place that I live in for the people around me, friends, family, neighbors, et cetera? And how does that allow me to understand perhaps what it means to be an honorable guest in the place that i live in and how that might extrapolate as you travel to another place
0: i like the fact that you throughout this whole conversation but especially in that answer you didn't give a simple answer like just do this and you are washed clean of any sense of responsibility guilt etc i like actually i mean my listeners might not like it but i like that you gave a more nuanced answer because when it comes to living with intention I've learned throughout this doing this podcast for five-ish years that there isn't a simple answer just do this and you know everything's fine it is more about that introspection looking within asking these hard questions that we've done today and so tell us about your podcast what you cover where we can find it tell us all the things
1: yeah just very simply uh, the The End of Tourism podcast are conversations about wanderlust, exile, and radical hospitality uh, with activists, storytellers, and authors, academics, among others. It's, It's definitely a way of being able to peer in to the people that live in tourist destinations, not only, but certainly as well, and to listen to what they have to say about these consequences in their place. You can listen to the episodes at theendoftourism.com and on social media. Our handle is also the end of tourism. And uh, read more of my writing and work at chrischristu.substack.com.
0: Is your manifesto there?
1: No, no, but I, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Thank you so much for for having me on the pod today, and uh, a great, great honor to be able to speak with you, and I hope your listeners can get something out of these conversations.
0: Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 385. Before we say goodbye today, I just want to give you a couple more thoughts on staycationing, how to make the most out of a staycation where you deliberately and intentionally Stay home, but still reap the rejuvenating vacation benefit. So as I mentioned in the intro, step one, the most important step is to get your mind right. Be deliberate about your mindset. You need to actually get on board in your mind that your staycation is a rejuvenating rest. So if you're staying home, sleeping at home, don't use the staycation to do the chores because remember, you're on a staycation vacation. Also, figure out what it is you love about traveling and try to recreate it. So if you like to vacation for new and novel experiences, make sure you're planning that. If you love to travel because it means you get to sit somewhere with a book, make sure you're recreating that on your staycation. So I personally tend to enjoy doing stuff outside of my comfort zone on vacations. I like to do things that I can't do in my daily life, right? So if that sounds like you, sign up for a language class or a cooking class or do something that you normally wouldn't do on your staycation and enjoy it. Watch the benefits roll in. And then finally, make your staycation a big deal. So if you have kids, talk about it in advance. Make it a big thing. Talk it up. And then after it's over, Make sure you reminisce about it. So take pictures while you're there, put your pictures in your family photo album at the end of the year and reminisce about it. Numerous studies have shown that anticipation for something can help reduce stress and that people are often happier before a trip than they are during it. So just allowing yourself to get excited about something has real powerful benefits. There's another theory out there called the peak end rule. That signs that people tend to judge an experience based on its high point, so the best part of the experience. You don't want to experience something and then immediately forget about it. So after you experience the highest point, the greatest moment in your staycation, make sure you savor it. Perhaps you write down a few thoughts on it. Perhaps, again, you take lots of photos. Perhaps you talk about it with the people you staycation with to extend that staycation magic a little bit longer. Listeners will be back on Thursday. I will see you then. Have an amazing couple days. Reach out if you need me. Leave the show a review. All the good stuff. I'll see you Thursday and take care.